Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author, Sam Baker. This episode is a little bit of a different one for The Shift, because at 40, today's guest, Bryony Gordon, is a mere whippersnapper. But she's crammed a whole lot of living into those years. Journalism, mental health campaigning, marathon running, body positivity activism, best-selling books, and, as we'll be hearing, alcoholism. Alcohol is a depressant that masquerades really well as a relaxant. It's like an Oscar-winning actor. In her latest bestseller, Glorious Rock Bottom, Bryony gives a painfully candid account of alcoholism, what it does to the alcoholic and the people around them, and crucially, how it feels to come through it. It is tough, tough, tough. It is also, like its author, immensely likeable, and, dare I say it because this is not a Bryony thing, heartwarming. Bryony talks shame, forgiveness, and why she will never ever moan about getting older. I find having a book out makes me feel completely mad. It's not so much the content of the book and like how people are going to react to it. Like I'm not worried about any of that kind of stuff. Mm. What I become obsessive about is like the sales rankings and how how this book does is a reflection of my validity as a person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, have you felt like that with every book? Every book. Like I'm better, you know, I'm sober and it's... You know, I've done work on myself, but it is, especially when you're writing about very personal stuff, do you Mm. know what I mean? It's like, well, I don't know, I've never written a a fiction, so. (laughs) Fiction is just really subjective, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it can be well written or badly written, but it's not about you. No, exactly. So it feels like an extra sort of like, it feels like, oh, I'm in the, you know, will I make it into the Sunday Times bestseller list of 
people like no stop stop it it's just a book you know if it helps like one person then job done anyway I'm not going to make you sit through a whole preamble about how wonderful you are but I can if that will make you feel good (laughs) it's fine you talk in in the book you talk about kind of how you're a people pleaser and you cared much too much about what other people thought and you didn't want to upset anyone and you didn't want to you wanted the approval and the of the counsellor and all of that that's still manifesting itself in the book charts isn't it yeah and I think that it's a very hard thing to be out of yourself right if you've had like Mm. like a lifetime's worth of conditioning and I think a lot of women will will recognize that you know I don't think it's a specific thing to me or a specific thing to alcoholism or you know as a woman it's like be likable be you know be pleasing don't do anything to upset you know it does manifest itself at times like this like I was saying to you that you know I've written a book that's about to come out which opens with sex sexual assault you know while my family sleep uh, mm. 100 meters away from me and you know you'd think that that would be the thing I was worrying about but it's not like I've done that I've worked through that I've, I've exposed that shame to the light I don't feel any shame about it now but the way a book coming out gets me is that like obsessing like are people gonna are people are people gonna buy it is it you know is there a market for it and it's ridiculous because your life one's life is not a product do you know what I mean and you kind of disassociate a bit from your traumatic life experience so to speak and it's weird it's also weird like it's weird but I I'm trying to be very grateful like I've been able to write a book about getting sober you know that in itself is a miracle and that it's being published you know what made you do it what what led up to the I'm gonna write this even more exposing than all my other books book well I didn't really feel like I had a choice like I've always done that thing of writing about the things that have made me feel bad about themselves to try and help other people feel good about themselves like for me exposing the darkest elements of my life has been really helpful because it allows me to realize that I'm not the only one you know and that actually the darkest recesses of my mind are very similar to the darkest recesses of lots of people's minds and and you know I've always said that what all mental health issues and what all mental illnesses have in common from depression through to psychosis and you know alcoholism and beyond is that they lie to you and they tell you you're a freak and they tell you that you're alone and they tell you that no one's going to understand what you're going through and they thrive in a culture of silence and much like an abuser in a way mm. and the moment that you talk about these things and get them out there and people come back to you you know in a way for me it's a sort of I suppose it's maybe it's a validation thing again but it's uh it helps me it helps helps me every time someone reads something I've written about like the darkest times of my life and then comes back and goes I have felt that too because I remember I am not a freak I'm just a normal person with a brain that sometimes fucks up and malfunctions like I just didn't feel like I I had a choice not in that the publishers like pinned me down and said you have to write a book about getting sober it just sort of fell out of me and it's my fifth book and some of the hardest subject matter I've written about I was in the studio the other week reading my audio book and I sort of like I don't know how I wrote that like I don't it's almost like it was a different person does that make sense like you go into this weird zone don't you Uh how was it reading it out loud asking for a friend I'm starting recording my <laughs> rereading stuff that you've written is especially it was fine it was just one of those things I had to do I cried at the end 
And I've never cried at the end of recording an audiobook before. I think it was like, for me, it was like, it was a moment of really realizing how far, how much better I've got uh, and how unwell I was three years ago. Mm. If you're lucky enough to get sober, you work through stuff in a very kind of meticulous way and then you move on, you know, you move on from the really dark stuff. You apologize for it to whom you need to apologize to and all of that. It's that thing of exposing shame to the light and it dies and then you can move on and you can be of help to people and you can, you know, live your life and be of service to your family and your friends and all of that and Mm. reading it out was very much like going back to the beginning and it's a good thing because it reminds me of how dark it got you know my life is so functional now like you know I got up this morning and I went for a run at 6am and then I had done lots of work and before like 11am and then you know I'm productive I'm like a normal human being Sam do you know what I mean? (laughs) God forbid (laughs) and I have to remind myself every day of how unmanageable my life was because of alcohol. And it's really funny, just before this coming and talking to you, I was trying to find a picture of myself in like the last days of my drinking. And you know, you always get those like before and after pictures that show Mm -hmm. the progress. I couldn't find one that showed how quite how awful it was. For a lot of people, alcoholism is such a hidden illness. You know, people manage to like hide it. And I, I remember someone saying to me that I had a constitution of an ox. And I was like, I was like, actually, I'm more of a duck. Serene, <laughs> serene above water, but like frantically paddling to stay afloat. And that was what my alcoholism was like. I guess um, it's such a common illness. Writing that book was like mm. forgiving myself for, ha- for what happened. And... And then hoping that someone might read it and start the process of being able to forgive themselves because it's not like the Marvel universe where you're either good or you're bad, you know. I mm. We all make mistakes. We all fuck up, you know, and we all should be able to have the chance to, to move on from those mistakes and process them and learn from them. And if we want people to get better from things like alcoholism, we need to talk about the reality of it. And not talking about the reality of it causes a lot of pain to a lot of people, not just the alcoholics and the addicts themselves, but all the people around them who, against their better mm. judgment, love them. For a lot of people, alcoholism and addiction is like a double double whammy of a mental illness in that you're self-medicating something else you know and like a deeper inner pain Mm. and that was certainly the case for me you know I I had very very bad obsessive compulsive disorder as a child well all the way through my life and and when I was able to pick up a drink at the age of 14 I was like wow this is the cure this is the cure and of course it's not so interesting isn't it alcohol is a depressant that masquerades really well as a relaxant it's like an Oscar-winning actor, you know, and mm. it's dangerous for a lot of people. Not everyone. Do you know I mean, there's plenty of people that can have one or two with their dinner and this is book isn't for them, you know. I'm not one of those people that's like, bad alcohol, it's evil. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. <laughs> plenty of people who can take it or leave it and good for them but there are plenty of people that can't take or leave it and you know and I just wanted to talk about it in a more kind of balanced way really because every time alcoholism is sort of portrayed I mean it's a bit like mental illness it was all you know it's always padded cells and that of course is one that is one depiction of mental illness and we must not get away from that and perhaps we've got a little too far away from it if I wasn't sitting on a park bench drinking a cheap bottle of offie bought vodka out of a paper bag and if I hadn't lost everything how could I be an alcoholic well it's like you say in the book it's about the narrative isn't it and the what the narrative of what the alcoholic is and the narrative of what mental illness looks like and the narrative of what 
is feminine and isn't feminine, Mm. all of those things, either using to your advantage because you're like, I can't be an alcoholic Mm. because I'm not sitting on a park bench, or you're kind of beating yourself up trying to behave in that way. It's interesting you say that, oh, if people can drink in moderation, horrible word, moderation, this book isn't for them because I actually think reading this, weirdly, whilst it's the toughest of your books that I've read, I think there's loads in it for everyone. I mean, there are moments of complete darkness and bleakness, but the recovery process, you know, talking about forgiving yourself and shame and the people pleasing and how recovery is is a feminist act. A lot of my drinking, when I like really drill it down, it was about being the woman I thought I was supposed to be, you know. Mm. It was about numbing any kind of excess feelings I had. And it was about fitting that mould of the compliant, pretty, sexy woman, you know, acknowledging that I can be the person I am without having to drink in a way. You know, for me, has been a feminist act. It's about like the kind of, it's about accepting myself for all of who I am and not just the bits that society might find appealing or that might fit in this kind of notion of what's right and how we should be. I am a messy person and most people are, you know, that's yeah. the truth. And um, and this has been about like holding myself through those messy moments, which these are things Sam are so, cl- like, if you told me that I would be saying these three years ago, I'd be like, yeah. I was thinking like this week, publication week, and I'm anxious and I'm like, oh no, what if my career's over? Da, 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 da. And I started sort of thinking about, okay, how can I stop being that kind of person that gets anxious about work, you know, and and the, the, the whole world is about to end? How can I stop being that? And then I, I realized that was the wrong question to ask myself. Mm. It was like, how can you just accept that that is the kind of person you are and that sometimes there's going to be those moments and they will and that's fine the offset of the me being like that is that in other ways I'm like this do you know what I mean that are really positive so the fact that I'm sensitive and I care and whatever is what's led to say me writing this book in the first place which will hopefully help people or it's does that make sense like yeah totally I I, so you've got to take the rough with the good this is kind of a lot where I was coming from with my book the shift is for me it's like what is it that made you get out of the box and to see the box for what it was because the box was going to kill me. If I didn't stop drinking, I was going to die. That was what I realised. I was going to die either by accidentally choking on my own vomit. I was going to die by killing myself. And that was somewhere my brain had gone quite a lot and increasingly getting it was getting closer to the kind of like... Anyway, or I was going to die, worst of all, by living this sort of miserable Groundhog Day existence where I had to drink myself numb to get through the day. When I talk about my rock bottom, like my last night of drinking wasn't any worse, perhaps, than things that had happened before. In fact, sometimes my drinking was far worse, you know. But what changed was that I was like hollowed out by self-loathing. And I knew that if I didn't grab on to that one little tiny bit of self-respect I had left, that hadn't been killed by the self-loathing. I was going to lose everything. I had to accept the truth about myself. I was an alcoholic and lots of other things as well. My life wasn't worth living as it was. And I'd made alcohol the most important thing in my life. Can you pinpoint in any way what made you have that realisation though? So I wrote Mad Girl, which was all about my obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. And it did really well. And, you know, like I always talk about how on the outside, my life was, you wouldn't have known I was like really struggling. You know, my career was the most successful it had ever been. I was like running marathons, that kind of thing, raising money for charity. I'd set up my own not-for-profit 
Yeah, really, you made the rest of us feel like a total slacker. <laughs> but I was, I was really immersed suddenly. And when I wrote Mad Girl, which was to try and help people who had this form of OCD I had, I was like, oh, now I'm helping everyone else. I must, my OCD must be sorted out. And, you know, the truth was, I was basically self-medicating with booze to try and sort out my OCD. And the more immersed I became in this mental health community of, of campaigning and meeting other people, and then in the evening, I'd be like going home and drinking. I couldn't ignore the fact that alcohol was something I was using to numb the way I was feeling and to numb out all of the kind of shit. And it's like the more your eyes are opened to recovery and the and the possibilities of it, the less able you are to do the bad things you're doing. So I was meeting loads of people just like me and I was seeing how they were dealing with life. And I was beginning to learn that the way I dealt with life wasn't perhaps the only way to do it. And I was seeing these other ways of living. I, I kept meeting people that happened to be sober. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who happened to have got sober. And I wasn't appalled by them. I was like, fascinated. I was like, so you used to drink all the time and now you don't drink at all. I was like, and you're not really boring. Yeah, tell me about that. And I get you. I, I sort of feel a kinship with you. Do you know what I mean? Like, you seem to get the way I do everything, like, so it was a slow process. I mean, arguably, it was my whole life was leading up to getting sober, you know. And and now my life has really begun. Oh, so cliche. Oh, no, it's, do you know what? It is, and it kind of isn't. I feel like I, I'm 40 now, and I feel like I am, um, I feel the youngest I've ever like so interesting hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com In the book, you talk about being asked how old you felt and you say 15. Yeah. How old do you feel now? Three. (laughs) (laughs) No, what I mean is I feel 40. I feel like I'm a grown up. Do you know what I mean? But I also have that sense of joy that a three-year-old might have and wonder. And I'm still like, oh my God, Sam, did you know that you can have people deliver food to your house with things like a cardo? And I wake up every morning and I'm healthy. And every night I go to bed sober. I'm like, wow, 
you know, the other night I was listening to some neighbours having a very heavy party. I still feel that relief that I'm waking up at 6am and not going to bed at 6am. I'm a grown up in many ways, but I have that sort of childlike wondrous joy. And I do feel as like they often say that you're like, like early recovery is you're still a baby until you've got five years of sobriety. And I feel like an absolute baby and a bit of a fraud writing a book about getting sober when I've only got three years of sobriety. This is the thing, like I couldn't even get three days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if you think about it, last time I interviewed you, mm. well, I interviewed you twice for Mad Cow. And Mad Girl. That, that, <laughs> Not oh, mad. God. Do you know what? I always do that. I always no. do that. Don't, don't, don't Freudian slip there, Sam. <laughs> That's about the fourth time I've done that. Yeah. But, yeah. well, I kind of think one or the other. It's kind of all the same principle, isn't it? Yeah. I remember you like interviewing me for like a launch, Mad Girl launch event. And I remember being like talking about that stuff was really like, it was quite full, like traumatic, like mm. traumatic. It was quite full on. And then the way people responded to it, I just never in a million years expected. They went crazy. You were mobbed like a rock star. And it, but it was, it was really like... full on. And like, it's amazing to have people say, oh my God, this is the same thing I go through. But it was also like quite intense. And I remember that night saying to like my agent and my editor, I was like, I need to go, I need to have a drink. Like all I could focus on was like, I need to get, you know, I need to, it was was like I had to exhale. And that was the only way I knew how to exhale was to have a drink. Mm. Did the success make the alcoholism worse? Worse. Yeah, it's such a cliche, isn't it? I'm like, yes, probably it did. Yes. I remember signing up to do the London Marathon for Heads Together shortly after Mad Girl came out because they had approached me and they were like, oh, you know, you've written this book and it's so well and da, 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 and you set up this thing of mental health mates. And I was like, that is going to be the thing that is going to sort my drinking out. Mm, pregnancy didn't quite matter. I mean, I didn't drink while I was pregnant. You know, I I'd sort of thought that that was going to be the thing. Anyway, so I was like, well, the ma- running a marathon will be the thing. And running a marathon was not the thing. <laughs> In fact, my drinking ramped up. I remember one night, one Sunday night being like, I want to go to the pub and my husband being like, just because you've run 10 miles this morning, it doesn't mean you can have like a pint for every mile you've run. And it's like, a credit debit situation. And I was like, uh, absolutely it does, yeah. And I look back on that time and like, it was literally like I knew the game was up and it was over. I knew I couldn't continue to live in that way. And it was like, I had to finish all of the booze and drugs in London, you know, and like go out in a blaze of glory, but which it was not. I look back on that first marathon and I'm amazed I'm still alive. I'm just amazed. Was that, well, how long was that before you went into rehab? So I ran the marathon in April 2017. Sorry, I'm just lying down now. Yeah, I was just going to say for the the audience, Bryony is now reclined on the bed and has a nice pink headboard. I'm very comfortable. It's like this is an IKEA blanket over my mucky headboard. Anyway. I did the interview with Prince Harry in March 2017, like career high. Right. Did you interview Prince Harry? I don't oh know. Oh my God, I never knew. And I was in rehab by the end of August. So three years ago in three weeks? Yeah, my 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 birthday. That's the birthday that counts. Your second birthday. Yeah, that's the great thing about getting sober is you get two birthdays. Like you're a queen, like the queen you are. Yeah. So 40 and three years sober by the time this comes out. Yes. How does that feel? <sighs> I'm just so proud of myself. 
You should be. I feel like the funny thing is, is that big moments had to feel like big moments to me before I got sober because it was like that was how, you know, everything was dramatic and everything had to feel when something good happened. I I had it had to be celebrated. I don't really care now. Like, it's amazing. It's lovely. It just feels like a privilege. I'm just so fucking privileged to be alive and sober and doing what I'm doing I just feel lucky I feel very lucky have you managed to stop using all the kind of other void fillers no the busy 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 and the food and the shopping and all of those things that all of us do to a lesser or greater degree. Yeah, it comes and goes you know it's like anything it's it comes and it goes and I'm not perfect I remember my counsellor in rehab saying to me just because I was like oh my god I chain smoke I'm terrible I'm eating like 800 tubs of Ben and Jerry's because I didn't think I had I didn't think I had a sweet tooth when I was drinking um I had no cravings for sweet stuff stopped drinking immediately all I craved was sweet stuff and my counsellor explained that it was because (laughs) because I was getting all my sugar needs from the alcohol I didn't need any yeah and then suddenly it was like ha anyway I was like and they were like just deal with whatever's going to kill you first you know so I'm a bit like I obsessively run I read obsessively but no one's really badly affected by that does that make sense I think I think that's fine I think Edie's cool with that Edie's cool and I'm quite busy I do have to like watch myself but I've got so much better than that I just got back from like three weeks in Cornwall as soon as we were allowed out of lockdown I was like bye see ya I was like I don't want to speak to anyone work-wise I'm so I'm getting a lot better at it you know I think a lot of women self-medicate with busy though don't they because they have to but you know but (laughs) there is that yeah I remember saying to my I still see my counsellor from rehab once a week like clockwork and I mean obviously over zoom at the moment and the other day I was saying to him I just feel I feel really flat and he was like I think you just feel like normal people do when they like take a day and break and I'm like I just oh I feel like this inertia has come over me and he's like yeah no Bronnie that's fine it's just life it's just normal yeah how was lockdown did it affect you um well I sort of think that those of us who have experienced like mental illness and like (laughs) I was a bit... Why did you laugh then? Because I, I, well, I'm laughing because in my head, I think I've been preparing for the apocalypse like my whole life. Like in October last year, I wrote this column, I can't be the only one who dot, dot, yeah. dot. And there was one of the first ones I did was who's preparing for the apocalypse. I've always like loved re- reading like that sort of Stephen King, you know, end of the world stuff. Like I write in the book, like the apocalypse is where I had to go to like calm myself genuinely some some days I would wake up and what had happened the night before had felt so bad to me that I was like the only place I could go for comfort was like if a zombie apocalypse came and it just like blew all of that out of the water and it didn't matter anymore does that make sense (laughs) so in my head the world was always fucking ending for me and I a lot of people I know who have experienced alcoholism or other major sort of emotional difficulties agreed with me on this so when it actually did start to end or the world as we knew it started to end a lot of us I think who experienced those things were quite calm about it and in fact a lot of my friends who hadn't experienced any of that were sort of coming to me for advice they were like you've had awful things happen to you Bridie how do I get through this and so I I don't know I I just feel incredibly grateful 
that I'm sober, obviously, like everyone, I, I went a bit mad, you know, like being in one space constantly for a long time is weird. And the, and that's not even to mention the huge uncertainty and change, you know, that, that is very difficult to live with for a prolonged period of time, you know, just mentally, I think for people's psyches, actually, weirdly, when lockdown happened, I was sort of there was a sense of relief, because I didn't have to go to an office anymore. I didn't, well, I don't really, but I didn't have to like go into town and do all those work meetings or, you know, those things that I thought drove me mad. I realized actually are the things that keep me sane. So those things in our daily life that we Mm. think are really annoying and we would really love to do without actually are really important. Like it's really important to do things you don't particularly want to do every day yeah. I know that sounds mad but like no but those structural things that give yeah. shape and also to be able to then come home at the end of the day and go oh I'm so glad to be on my sofa you know you know so I think that has been a weird thing for a lot of people to get their head around like a lot of people say this like I feel tremendously lucky to have this sort of program in my back pocket. So I, you know, I may not drink anymore, but I'm still an alcoholic. And so I um, go to 12 step meetings almost every day online. And, you know, and, and I feel really lucky to have that. Like I am so, I never thought I'd say this, but I am so glad to be able to have a space where I can go, my name's Brian and I'm an alcoholic and, and, and to be able to talk with people who get that and you know and we can talk about life and the and how it makes us feel and uh, you know I forget that a lot of people don't have that oh in a way your structure wasn't taken away the meetings were and the going into town and all of that but there was an anchor in your day every day yeah and I do feel really lucky I feel really lucky you know and I never thought I'd say that well I'm not really supposed to talk about 12-step meetings and stuff like that because I uh like anonymity and stuff but it's incredible like it's just blows my mind the the kind kindness and the unconditional love that exists in this world that we don't see you know it's just there and these incredible people and um that has you know it keeps you going through lockdown you know it's it's um where has cynical Bryony gone she's gone She's gone. She is, but I say that in the book. I'm like, the more sober I get, the less cynical I am. And I find it really hard to do. (laughs) Like, as a newspaper columnist, that bit of my job, I find increasingly hard to do because I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're meant to do isn't it I hope that they pay me for my insights into mental health and all the rest of it um you know it's difficult like I I find it hard to be cynical I just want to kind of love everyone and accept them for who they are and help them through and you know but your boss is thrilled (laughs) (laughs) she's like no 800 words on why that person yeah 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 I get you know that I'm like no I'm not I'm not like do you will you write about the Harry and Meghan but no no I won't (laughs) oh god yeah you're the last person who's gonna do that well exactly there's that but like I'm I just have no interest I don't have any interest in reading that kind of piece anymore and I but I do think generally Sam we've we're much less tolerant of that form of journalism aren't we now people don't want it like people don't want it they don't want to People want to read stuff that is opening them their eyes. Their understanding. And, yeah, and, and and allowing them to be more compassionate. And I think that's fantastic. Do you know what I mean? It's really interesting how it's it's all changed. I mean, one of the things that for me used to be a hallmark of your writing was you didn't use other people as the punchline. You used yourself. Yeah. And Glorious Rock Bottom is the first book where you haven't been the punchline of that book. There's no punchline. <laughs> 
no. Well, yeah. I mean, you're always trying to find the next gag, but all of your previous books, there always was the next gag and the next gag was always you. Yeah. How are you finding that, writing without constantly being the butt of your own jokes? Um, it's nice. Is it? Is it hard? No. If people find it boring, then that, you know, I'll have to go and get another job. <laughs> I'll have to find another vocation because I, I, you know, I've done that. And and I do feel sad. I feel sad for myself in a way. But also I know that that was my way of surviving. And God, the people, the amazing people I met and who were like, that's what I'm like too. And, you know, in a way without it, I wouldn't have got to the place I am now, you know. So this feels like a weird one to ask you, but now you're 40. Yeah. How are you feeling about the next decade? Oh, I'm excited. I'm so excited. It's such a privilege to get older, isn't it? Like I, I, I we forget that too much. I oh, think. like my mum. I don't know how old my mum is, and she's always been like, "We must never ask a woman about her age." She doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I've given her. No. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't get it. Like last year, mm. my godson's mum died. She was fourteen, mm. and she had this like very rare autoimmune disease, Andrea. Andrea Colville, God rest her soul. And she got ill just really quickly. Like and it, my godson was four when she died and her her other son, he wasn't even one, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to see her in hospital. So she had a very rare autoimmune illness that affected her liver. And it's very rare, but it mostly affects women and women after pregnancy. The Medical Research Foundation, which are an amazing charity, raise money to research into illnesses, have a special fund for it in Andrea's memory. Uh, it's the, well, it's the Autoimmune Hepatitis Research Fund run by the Medical Research Foundation. And it it's researching into autoimmune hepatitis, which is what Andrea died of. But I remember going to see her in hospital towards the end and it was like it didn't make any sense to me how like there's me who's like drunk myself to oblivion do you know what I mean and I'm fine and then there's and we you know we joked about this and she didn't really drink and then this tragedy struck out of like a clear blue sky you know and I realized how lucky I am to be alive and how lucky we all are to be alive do you know what I mean and for Andrea's say and I just feel like it's really important that we all that I for the rest of my life remember the privilege of being alive do you know what I mean and the joy of life and so <sighs> turning 40 is like what a joy like what a fucking joy and lots of people don't get to turn 40 and I'll, I will be so lucky if I get to turn 50 do you know what I mean and so mm-hmm. that's how I try and like it's just a relief and in terms of my own sobriety as well like Sam there were times I shouldn't really be here I just shouldn't. There are huge portions of my life I don't know anything about because I was blackout. I was in blackout. And I would come to the next day or the day after or whenever, and I would have marks on my body and there would be stains on my clothes that suggested things happened that were dark. Yeah. Mm. And I shouldn't be here. And so I I thank my lucky stars every day that I am. And um, so uh, in short, as long as I stay sober, today and and tomorrow and every day after that who knows where we're going to be or what's going to happen christ think back to the beginning of the year and i was gonna say after this year nobody knows (laughs) anything could happen exactly on that note i'm going to ask you a few like shallow questions i always ask at the end okay cool Um, first of all give me a book recommendation oh a book recommendation (gasps) 
I'm reading a book at the moment called Love After Love by Ingrid Pursued, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway, it's fantastic. I love it. I don't want it to end. And I think I might end it tonight. Uh, yeah, it's just wonderful. Uh, set in Trinidad. I don't want to give too much away. Joyous. Great. What one thing would you like to tell younger women? It's all going to be okay. <laughs> That's the first Bryony silence we've had. Like, I'm sure I've answered this question before, but um, it changes every day. But it's all going to be okay. You're wonderful, just as you are. Yes, it's so hard to believe that, though, isn't it? It is, but you're here. It's a good bit of advice. You're here for a reason, baby. (laughs) What would your superpower be? Uh, Sitting with my feelings. (laughs) I've written that in the book. I'm like, if I manage to get to a year sober, Marvel are going to ask me to join the Avengers. And my husband was like, what's your superpower? And I'm like, sitting with my feelings. I'm like, take that, Thor. Take that, Iron Man. <laughs> oh, it's a surprisingly big thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. Feelings and, and having them yes. and letting them be. Exactly. Who is your old bird role model? My old bird role model? God. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I'd like to be me you I'd like to just be me I don't I I don't want to like I love I'm inspired by lots of women but I hope that I just feel accept myself enough so that I can love myself enough to like stay alive you know does that make that so cheesy But this I, is so fascinating after the last time I interviewed you, honestly. I've spent You're very I've, different. I've spent my life trying to be other people and other and versions yeah. of me that I think I should be. So there's loads of women. I could sit here and literally talk to you for another hour about women I admire and love and think are fantastic. But you know, we all know have them. And I, I feel like I, I want to stop trying to be other people and start trying to be me for the next 40 years. That's a really good answer. I think that might be the best one yet. Ah! And lastly, how many fucks do you give? How many fucks do I, I thought you were going to ask something else then? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, that's no old Brian. Uh, that's the first book. How many fucks do I give? Uh, however many fucks I give uh, is the number, is too many, basically. Uh, I probably still give too many fucks. So I'm trying to whittle that down. I, I probably give like seven fucks. <laughs> and what are those seven fucks specifically about? Oh, I don't know. Is anyone gonna? Sorry, that was just me. Anyone... Yeah, don't, don't, like, oh god. But I'm trying to whistle that down. Brilliant. That's it. Thank you so much, Sam. That was really Bye. fun. I really enjoyed that. Oh, have a lovely holiday. Thank you. And um, I'll take your book with me. Yeah, you better had. I'll do okay. an Insta. Bye. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each week on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 